Now breathe. Now there is no more busy. Now we have time. Now distraction is foreign and flights of fancy are the only aircraft we can board. Now walking outside is our consolation and brave sun in our solitude a new companion. Now the stars are less distant and those we love even closer. Now we can't gather, can't hobnob, can't see or be seen. Now we are quiet, focused, still. Let's breathe. Breathe while the earth is healing. Breathe while the fields ripen. Breathe while the lungs of our longing thicken and fill. Time is on our side at last. It is all we have left. Breathe in the ecstasy of this world waiting. This is a poem by Margaret McPherson, a parishioner of Holy Trinity Anglican Church. I'd like to welcome you to this podcast. You have with you uh, Jonathan Crane and Dan Ash, both of St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Fulton Place in Edmonton. And we're exploring the topic of how to keep spiritual grounding in a season of anxiety. And uh, we're in the second week of the COVID-19 isolation that we, we need to be in. So, uh, welcome, Dan, to this conversation. Thank you, John. It's good to be here. And uh, it seems good if we're going to be talking about uh, spiritual grounding and and how to keep it, that we say a little bit about what we think spiritual grounding is, and if there's uh, there are some words that we might put around that. Do you have some ideas that you begin with when you're thinking about spiritual health, spiritual grounding, however you get at that? Well, the word that stands out for me is grounding. And grounding is get real. Ground. The old Latin word for it is humus. And from it comes words like humility. And it simply means to be who you are, to be all that you are, and to be only what you are. Humility is not a kind of false self-abasement. It is simply to be real about who we are. And that who we are is the basis out of which our actions grow, our thoughts and dreams and cares grow. It is the ground which nourishes us. There's a clear connection to the Aboriginal thinking about the land as as the environment in which we all have our being. Uh, To be 
grounded is to see ourselves for what we truly are. We sometimes hear what we truly are at the other end of our journey, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. To be grounded is to have a sense of of our limitedness and also a sense of our possibility and to somehow hold those things together. Hmm. When we're in the midst of our ordinary busy lives, so many of us say in one way or another, I wish I had time to just sit and be. Well, we have time to just sit and be. And the ground of our lives may be fallow and resting, or it may be full of energy and the potential for new life. It may be ground that has been poisoned by what has been poured into it. It may be ground that has had a lot of manure shoveled into it. <laughs> and some of the, the shit that comes into our lives is designed actually to make us more fertile. So when I think of spiritual grounding, I think of becoming more fully who and what we truly are. And that strikes and that me is, as a, a, a good place, you know, season-wise to begin. Um, I hadn't made that connection before, but that we begin the season of Lent with Ash Wednesday and that sense of grounding that we find in being aware of our mortality and our frailty. And, and of course, in uh, the natural season of becoming that that is shaping around us. Um, there are the first, the first shoots kind of poking up from the ground near the church where it's where it's warm, and uh, and that both of those seasons might give us uh, sort of a pause and a beginning place in in this COVID nineteen uh, situation, and um, and and it also raises for me that sense of new life waiting to become. And that that uh, potentiality that that exists in in soil uh, at this point of the year. Yes, I I think the Ash Wednesday liturgy's word to us: "Remember, you are dust; to dust you shall return." Is a bit reflected in the words of our Prime Minister to us recently you are not invulnerable go home and stay home <laughs> so uh, most of us are home and we are home with ourselves and it's the only self we have and it's a very mixed self and if we hold that truly if we're real about ourselves if we allow ourselves to notice and feel 
who we are, how we are, what we are, what we hope for, what we long for, what we worry about. All of these, if we just hold these things and we be those things, we, we are more honestly ground waiting to, to grow new life. That sense of humility being um, not not just feeling low about ourselves, but seeing ourselves just as we are. Uh, humility being being a, a clear perspective, and and a sense of recollecting ourselves in a in a true way. And the interesting thing that in a time like this, that perhaps we have an opportunity to see ourselves in a level of clarity that we don't get to at other times when we're extra busy with extra things and activities, but we're, we're all being invited into a different space of perspective and, and we need to acknowledge sometimes a frightening space. Um, and yet it might be a more true space that we can, we can enter into uh, in this time. I, th I think I want to add in just uh, three words that I know are familiar to you and, and came back to me as I was thinking around this uh, this sense of spiritual health and spiritual grounding, uh, and that's freedom, generosity, and and gratitude and and faith, hope, and love being being tied in with that. Uh, we're uh, we're doing a Wednesday night study through Lent. And the book is around addiction, and he he gets uh, a fair bit into this sense of uh, our true selves, and and that in our true selves we exist in a place of freedom, and and not not freedom in the sense of being able to choose, you know, um, ten rolls of toilet paper versus five, <laughs> but mm -hmm. uh, but more freedom to to be in the the fullness of being that you're you're talking about freedom to to be uh existing in our full capacities in in the shape of christ in in the shape of our full humanity uh invited by god's divinity and and stepping into that that way of being and and from that place of, of freedom being able to act in generosity towards others and understanding where where they are and understanding that they're existing in their own frailty and so having compassion uh, generosity for for their frailty um, and and at the the core of it all being at a place of gratitude and thanksgiving for for the 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 grounding of our life and and the breath that we've been given um, i'm drawn to that image of we are made from dust and and it's only god's gift that brings us life and and gives us life in this time and 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 i, I mean you know i wonder how many people have had moments of freedom within this time when things shift if they if they have had glimmers of seeing themselves in a new way um seeing themselves in a true way or feeling like they are doing the thing they need to do. Maybe, I hope, 
maybe some healthcare providers are feeling like they're in their fullness, in their capacity. This is what they were made for, to be to be doing, and uh, and moments when we kind of get a glimpse of ourselves of this is who I am, and God's love is here. Uh, these three themes that you have mentioned bear repeating over and over again: freedom generosity of spirit, gratitude for all things and in all things. These are such important themes in our growth as human beings, uh, in our growth as Christian people. And we, we do well to hold those themes before us <laughs> uh, because they invite us into a, into a a deeper life of of service and of being cared for. So kind of thank a, you for that. Yeah, uh, that Power, powerful words resonates with kind of a daily coming back to those and and how are we doing with them and being playful with how they exist in our life. Yes. So to to kind of move on from definition uh, into sort of how we approach these things, what what comes to mind for you, Dan, um, uh, either using the definition we've had, or I don't know if there are other directions uh, you you were thinking to go of, of how we how we keep that spiritual grounding, uh, living in freedom, generosity and gratitude, with a, a sense of solidity and grounding in our life uh, in in the love of God, how do we how do we do that, especially in a time, uh, maybe it's the same as any other time, um, but especially in a time where uh, everything is changing around us. What, how, do you, how do you approach that? Well, the way I have approached it in the past is to take it for what it is. And it's an example of, of our limitedness that there are some things over which we simply have no choices right now. We cannot act in this. Uh, we, in some fundamental way, are enduring this, and we don't like being in that place. It's not in our nature. Uh, our nature is to act and to be, uh, to be, useful to uh, to be people who accomplish things and and sometimes we're we're not moving past the word be <laughs> and so we need to concentrate on the on the being we are we are here this is our reality and go with it and live with it. I've had some practice in this. Um, I have been, um, I have been on, on uh, disability for a number of years after some significant health milestones in my life with enforced solitude and enforced inactivity. And I've had to come to terms with that. Now, I'm naturally a person who 
values solitude and I think has learned over the years to use it well. But when it's imposed on you and told that now is the time, it kind of rankles. It's not our choice. It's just here. Deal with it. Uh, one of the things that's helped me deal with it is to clarify what it is that I want here. And one of the things that has helped me is parts of the Psalter. I'm thinking particularly of Psalm 62 and 63. For God alone, my soul in silence waits. From God comes my salvation. God alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold so that I shall not be greatly shaken. For God alone, my soul in silence waits. Truly, my hope is in God. And when I sit with that, and I repeat it over and over again, turn it into a prayer. For you alone, my soul in silence waits. And allow that prayer to be expressed in my thoughts and in my being and in my breath. I cannot help thinking about what it is I'm usually waiting for. And is it really God? What do I put my energy into longing for? What do I want? What do I desire? What do I work for? Is it God? How do I shape up when I pray those words for you alone, my soul in silence waits. And if I pray that prayer, I become so deeply aware that within myself, I am a conflicted person. And I often long for so much more than that. But if I am called to be that trusting in God, to trust that all that I need has been given to me, will continue to be given to me, then I am called to bring all of the bits of my life and lay them inside that prayer. For you alone, my soul in silence waits. And in that way, invite my choices, my memories, my wills, even the way I understand what is happening, and bring them into, into the prayer that, that longs for the wholeness that only God can give, that we don't have within ourselves as our own possession, but that is the sheerest gift to us. In the first place, the gift of life itself, our ability to breathe, our ability to be grateful for what's around us, our ability to love, our ability to receive love. If we put it all in the context of the fact that God has been looking for us for a long time, um, 
we become less people who seek God, but people who know that God is seeking us. And we give our assent to God's search of our hearts by saying that we long for that too. And maybe we will grow into our longing. That is the, the point of so much prayer and liturgy, for example. When we think of times in the church where we go in procession, we walk from one place to another. We, we have a physical movement from, from the gathering place in the church up to the altar place. And we know that in our walking this route with our bodies, one step in front of the other, it is our spirits that are drawn, sometimes protesting, sometimes kicking and screaming, sometimes joyfully running into a reality where God is all in all. And I hear there, if, I, if I'm catching you, sort of opening this space and and the the psalm prayer becoming a a tool and a a way of of opening a space where there is room actually for all of who you are and and also in that space it it seems to be where where god is able to enter in and dwell there with you and and a way of um, being known in frailty and truth and, and of knowing God. And, uh, if I'm catching you, it, it reminds me of, um, uh, Jean-Francois Francis, um, I think that's his name, who did a, a retreat for us and, uh, at a clergy conference, uh, two years ago. And, and he said something like, he was speaking about our heart and and referencing the the mystic tradition of of sort of this inner cathedral and and this sense of where do you meet god and how often do you go there where 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 is that place in in each of us um where where we can actually enter into that space through prayer in prayer and and be there in our full selves in in our freedom and generosity towards ourselves and trusting that god is is present too there and and i hear you raising that up as as kind of the this the seat and foundation of our of our health and and our sustenance um kind of a an, an active way of participating in being where we're, we're not doing something, but we're, we're actively letting ourselves enter into this different kind of space, this different way of being. I, that's exactly it, John. Um, you started with that poem and, and, uh, I have a poem I'd like you to share. It was one that was written recently by my friend, uh, Kathy Sperling, and it uh, was written on Friday, March the 13th. It's called To Heal the World. 
in times such as these, when emotions run high, remember this. If you feel fear, you are not your fear, though it can warn you of dangers present. Welcome it. Offer it some tea and listen calmly. <laughs> but then remind it, you are much more than fear. You are love. When frustration and anger come to call, agree with them, nod enthusiastically, join them in their outrage even. But remember, you are so much more than your anger. You are love. And when sadness brings tears and perhaps even despair, breathe together, offer a hug and a handkerchief a quiet moment to accept sorrow as part of being human, then remember, you are so very much more than this grief. You are love. You are love. Breathe it, nourish it, bathe in it, wherever you can. Help it grow, flourish, and overflow. Offer it to all, and watch the world heal. A good word, that one. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Kathy. Yes. I, um, I'm, I'm really drawn to, um, I feel like there's been a lot of health coming from the creative folk in, in our world and, and just kind of, I, I, on some level, I feel like they, they are able to remind us that we're human <laughs> and just kind of break down what we're feeling in a, in a way that we can have perspective on ourselves. Well, isn't that just the great job of artists mm -hmm. of all kinds, the visual arts, the poetic arts, the written arts. For myself, I've always learned more from novels than from the scripture about how people really work. Mm. Because it's the novelists who have that gift of opening up the inner life of a person and describing it in in ways that ordinary thinking people like us can get a hold of and in this time especially we honor them because we're making more use of them now in this time than we ever were before That's right. we're listening to so much more music we're reading so many more books and you know there is so much out there right now on the internet about how it is that we live well in this time of social distancing and of, of enforced isolation, uh, often enforced solitude. Uh, there, there is so much out there in terms of uh, thoughtful, um, uh, helpful resources for us. Every, every, almost every uh, website you come across <laughs> has people talking uh, in it about uh, what they're doing to try to get through this time. And it's all incredibly helpful for us. I, feel, I was spurred on a bit by Kathy's poem and, and where you're going with this. Um, I feel like a 
providential moment, at, at least for me, uh, was Lent 1 this year. So before COVID had really broken out in, in Alberta, um, the, we were, the reading was Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days, which of course is kind of the image and the metaphor that we we walk through in Lent that that we're and nice. entering our own forty day time, and uh, where I was drawn to reflect on that time was around exile, and and it's come up for in my own recollection a few times thinking, well, isn't that interesting that that I felt that's where the spirit was going, this centering around exile and and how Jesus kind of teaches us about that. And then all of a sudden, we find ourselves thrust into this, uh, this exile that, you know, which, which is a departure from the normal, it's a departure from, um, usually it's a departure from home. Interestingly, this exile is actually sending us back home uh, in a, in a, but in a different way, it's a departure from our normal living. And, and I thought it was worth just sharing um, where where I was drawn to dwell on on that reading around how, what Jesus teaches us in exile just by his own example. So we, we've already gone a, a little ways into the first thought, which is that he, he goes willingly. As you were saying, Dan, that, that we kind of accept this as it is, we accept ourselves as we are, and, and that maybe uh, some of our spiritual grounding in a time of distress is to just receive it as it is. So we, we see Jesus, he's baptized, and then the Spirit uh, sends him in the, into the wilderness. He doesn't, you know, it's not like the Jonah story where Jonah tries to go the other way. Jesus goes into the center of that, that time, and, and maybe for us in exile to, to simply be here to to try and fight it to rail against it will will not lead us into into uh, a good spiritual place and the second yeah. one the second one which which uh drew me in from uh from kathy's poem is you know that that when we look at jesus in the wilderness he he literally does nothing for for most of the time and and in his inhabiting of that space, he just dwells there. And there's there's no narrative of, you know, he didn't set up chess with one of the desert foxes or anything like that. He 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 just seemed to be existing there. Uh, we we can imagine in a kind of prayer, in a kind kind of being, but um, but he was not doing. He was not uh, trying to busy his his life away and and instead sort of the third point uh is, is that I, I don't always do three-point sermon but i guess this was kind of <laughs> three-point <laughs> sermon uh that that he uh, he lets that experience actually sharpen and deepen his spirit that that he comes out of that experience the the narrative we do have is that at a certain point temptation came at a certain point the accuser came at a certain point, this this voice of death came to him uh, to woo him into uh, a false power, to woo him in into the opposite of gratitude, into into scarcity and and making his life 
um, in an unhealthy way his own to let his ego reign and and instead we discover that that he his spirit has been sharpened and honed so that when that voice comes he is ready and has has words to defer it so uh, and 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 we think about that time those 40 days in the desert that it actually becomes the catalyst for the rest of his ministry uh, of of him dealing with the words of his baptism and and it becomes the strength that carries him through to his through to his death and uh, so i've i've been reflecting a bit that isn't it interesting that we're in lent and and we're reflecting on these kinds of things and and now um, more than just pretending to be in exile or practicing being in exile as you might think of lent as a time of practicing these things but we're we're thrust into it in in this way as a society and how how might we accept it how might we just be within it and and how might we let it sharpen our spirit as we as we go and that's uh i was thinking of that already and then kathy's poem i felt kind of invited that same kind of reflection i'm i'm heartened by your your um uh, referral to the uh, story of jesus's time in the wilderness and and the temptations Uh, as you tell the story jesus didn't do much of anything but when jesus was active when he was really doing something when he was struggling was when he was trying to to come to a clear notion of who he was and what he was called to and it's it's that that the temptations represent who are you really and how do you want to be and how do you want to do that that's what the temptations are about and so so well while we are in exile we are given this notion of going home and we're now here in our homes but does that open up the possibility of seeing that the place where we truly belong is something we're still journeying toward the place we we where they have to take you in <laughs> because that's where family is <laughs> uh, <laughs> so and and that's that's where we it, it, you know it's our brothers and sisters who will tell us who we really are <laughs> uh, and and so as we become more fully ourselves we become more fully at home and our journey from exile uh into the the fullest meaning of what it is to be home uh, uh, is all tied up with our like jesus struggling with who are we really and how do we live that out how do we not live that out how do we how do we be and how do we do and how do we act from here on in we saw how that was for jesus how will it be for us and gosh i mean that 
that is the question we were all in last week uh, when we were trying to figure out what to do with ourselves. I, I think yes. all of us, and, and I'm, uh, I, I think especially for parents who were trying to figure out what to do with their kids and all the teachers and other workers who are trying to go through the process of how do I spend my time on a, on a very yes. practical level? What do I do with myself? And, and I, I think you've kind of nailed that, that it comes down to a question of identity. Who, who am I? Who do I want to be? How, how, how do I want my family life to be in this time? Who do I want my kids to be? Do I pack them full of activities? Do I give them space? Do I just send them outside? And, and at the core, all of those come back to a, an identity question and, and, and maybe mixed in with a, a whole set of temptations as we reflect on Jesus' temptations. Uh, you know, temptations to just let the kids write their own time in a negative way um, that, you know, we, we, we could just let ourselves slide into a way of being that is not actually true to us, but kind of living into our worst side. And, and I don't know about others, but I've, I've certainly felt that, that tension of, wow, our, our time has opened up and, now I get to choose and, and now I get to decide how, how I spend my time. And that's a, that's a difficult thing because it hits on these core thoughts of identity and, and to swirl around that, the, the theological identity, uh, I'm thinking, I don't know if you are going in this direction, but, you know, just still in, in Jesus 40 days, right before that was, his baptism where where the voice of god says you are my beloved that is that is who you are uh, with yes. you i am well pleased my son my child and and how we you know in all the anxiety of making all these decisions how do we let that identity if that is in fact our true identity how do we let that swirl around us Oh, you've nailed it there, Jonathan. Um, when, as a as a young priest, I sought out my first spiritual director, um, I was kind of offended uh, when we talked a little bit, and when he said, "Come back next week and and uh, uh, bring your uh, bring your desk diary," and I think what we'll do is we'll go through your diary and we'll chart out everything you have done in the week and we'll see how you have spent your time <laughs> I thought, what this is not some holy endeavor he he wants my timetable and what i do and then it sort of struck me oh yes <laughs> where i spend my time is a reflection of what's important to me i had a I had a moment with some uh, uh, some friends today who hadn't heard from since early yesterday. And I phoned his cell phone and I phoned her cell phone 
and I phoned their home phone, and nobody was answered, and I began to get very fretful. So I sent them text messages, and finally I got one back that said, we've just had too much Zooming and WhatsApping and, and internet conversations, and we need a rest from it, so we're staying off it for today. End of story. <laughs> and uh, it was a wonderful, it was a wonderful reminder about, about what we pour our energy into and what we choose to do and how we, how we um, are in these kind of moments is a reflection of, of what's going on in us. And what my friends were saying in that is that we just need some solitude and peace and quiet. <laughs> wow, who knew at this time? Embrace it. And maybe that's a good place to go. Um, uh, incidentally, I've I've got a Zoom coming up at two forty-five, <laughs> and <laughs> okay. uh, and I'll need to move on to that soon. But maybe before uh, that end comes, uh, we can move into what some practices might come to mind that that we find helpful that that uh, we might recommend to others, and and I think the one that they've just highlighted is to take a Sabbath, to take, to take a moment of rest, um, not from being together, uh, but, but from the kind of busy outer world that, that can come in. I know, um, Megan and I did that. We, we were feeling just packed up with news and everything and wondering how we could mark the weekend. So it wouldn't just feel like a, a normal day again. And, and we settled on giving up sort of individual internet time. So we, you know, we might still watch a movie or something as a family, but, but to stay off the news and stay off Facebook and both of us at the end of that, with a collective sigh, acknowledged how good that had been for us to step back from that. I know, um, uh, we both know Alana Lewandowski and, and she took the week off. She, she wrote a note saying, I'm, I'm, I'm stepping back from technology for a whole week because I'm just trying to process what's been happening. Are, are there some, some other practices that come to mind for you, Dan, that, um, that you and I could engage that, that others could engage as, as well, a way of getting into some of these things that we've been talking about? Yes, one of the one of the things is the exact opposite of that, strangely enough, and that is to reach out, hmm. but to reach out in honesty. Over the last few days, I've felt myself sinking into a depression, and so I sent a short note uh, via text message to a number of friends saying, this is how I'm feeling. Keep me in mind pray for me. And I had a number of short responses to that, that people would indeed keep me in mind. Uh, but from one person, I actually think it was you. Uh, some comments that reframed that particular moment for me uh, in a way that helped me see that moment within the context of the last six months in my life. Mm. 
and it kind of wasn't something that that I didn't know, <laughs> but it sharpened for me the reality that that this was a piece of a whole that was going on at pace, and I should just honor it and respect it for what it was, which took some of the negative power out of it for me. So, yeah, reach out and stay connected, but reach out with who we really are hmm. and what is really going on for us. And don't take over people's agenda. Just invite them to know what is going on with you and to be there in the background as a support. Sort of I found that helpful. Practicing our best listening skills yeah. and letting, you know, letting uh, kind of the stand by me philosophy that letting our friend speak and share what they need to because we're probably going to need it tomorrow or the next week. Yep. And, uh, and, and I, I want to resonate with one piece of that as well that that I found in reaching out to others. I've often likewise found um, the perspectives of others helpful. So uh, for me, a few people have mentioned, you know, this has happened before. Uh, the the church has gone through this before humanity has gone through this before and and we will get through and and in fact humanity has gone through much more difficult things and uh, and and I found that helpful to to stretch out my perspective from just this week where I'm kind of living yes. to in the in the perspective of time and that and that came from reaching out and and having conversations with others. I also want yes. to pick up on uh, something else you mentioned, which was praying with the Psalms. You, you mentioned 62, 63. Uh, I'm, I'm drawn to Psalm 84, where, where it talks about, you know, those who are walking through the valley of weeping will find it a place of springs. And, and, and the sense in the Psalms that many of the Psalms encompass these moments of, grief and struggle uh, in, was it Advent? We spent some time with Psalm 42, 43, if I've got that right, Yes. Uh, of, you know, why, why is my soul so disquieted within me? And yes. I'm going to guess there are a few of us feeling like our souls are disquieted. And, oh, yeah. and, and to know that these ancient peoples in prayer found ways of expressing these things and and we can find space in those, just as you described, finding space in um, to for God alone, my soul in silence waits. There is space enough for you in that simple phrase. And and maybe to direct us back there, to, to spend some time with the Psalms, um, spend some time maybe with Jeremiah, who is speaking to the people in exile, um, Nehemiah, who's walking the walls when they're broken down, and, and these places in scripture that seem to hold that mystery in, in a theological way. Well, Jesus did the same. <laughs> he looked back to the prophet Isaiah, who was looking forward to a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And Jesus somehow saw himself in that. And in a time of personal grieving for myself, 
I know myself to be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And then my eyes are open to the fact that if I may even be alone by myself here, I'm not alone because Jesus has walked that way and continues to walk in that way beside me. That sense of God does not remove suffering from us, but enters into it with us. With us, yeah. And God is here. God is in this. That strikes me as a good place to uh, to come to an end of this conversation of um, God's presence and sharing with us. So shall, shall we leave it there, Dan? Is there any other final word that you you feel um, to, to bring? I feel like God is with us is a good a good place otherwise. It is a good place to stop. Okay. May God stop with us in the old English sense of the word. God is stopping with us, meaning he's moved in and he's going along with us. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Thanks, Dan. And thank, thank you, you, John. Thank you to anyone who's uh, found this to listen. And, and we pray that you would find a good grounding in this time. Bless you.